0: You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 28.
1: Champions, arrive!
0: Welcome to the Champion's Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number 28. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a shrinking violet who is shyly sidling up to the microphone to whoops and cheers, and he's about to blow everybody's mind with his beautiful singing voice that no one was expecting. Give it up for Will!
1: Ooh, lolly, hey. Ooh, lolly, day. <laughs>
0: the crowd goes wild. let hey,
1: see what I say.
0: We never knew Lady Gaga could sing like that. <laughs> what? All right, so how are you doing?
1: Pretty. Fe- I'm was. i feeling whimsical, obviously.
0: <laughs> God, that- a sense of whimsy is a good thing to bring to the world. Uh-huh. Been doing some karaoke lately. You know, yep. busy nightlife that we're all living right now. We've been doing some living room karaoke in the uh, form of rehearsing for a performance that's actually a real performance. That's right.
1: A lot of metronome happening.
0: Yeah, there's lots of metronome. There's lots of uh, tedious balancing of instruments. And, oh, I'm going to go back and do that again. So, you know, it's not actually fun like karaoke. Although karaoke is only fun for the person who's currently singing, I think. Right?
1: I think that's probably right. I also think that the best karaoke is probably the uh, rock band video games. And so I have little patience for the real karaoke anymore, I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I, I feel that after COVID, we'll have a lot smaller toleration. We didn't, for just, we didn't
1: love getting up on that same shared microphone in the first place anyway. They that's al, true. It always smells like coughs and vomit, no you matter were, what. Yeah,
0: you were never a fan of shared equipment. Mm-mm, no. I don't do that. He's the germaphobe who's been hiding out this whole time, but it's like, you know, it's safe, you know, uh-huh. keeping you safe. Uh, now,
1: who look crazy at work opening the microwave with the paper towels.
0: Well, you know what? This is kind of funny. Like, pre-COVID, I feel like we didn't really think too much about aerosolized particles yeah. and like you know you're, you've you always been like a don't breathe on me kind of person <laughs> like, that's true I don't know, like when people like, stand
1: close to me and I can you
0: smell don't wanna, them. you don't like smelling people mm-hmm. you don't like smelling a stranger if you smell like a, a waft it's very of,
1: invasive
0: like, like we're in a store and there's like a waft of perfume Will's like Ugh! like he just you know like you can't even you can't even stand smelling another person <laughs> in public so that's kept you safe
1: <laughs> I guess he didn't have tell people that i mean
0: <laughs> whatever it's true though like it is it doesn't even it's not
1: even it's not even a judgment on their smell i'm sure it's perfectly fine but i don't know you
0: you don't want you to know, smell yeah. somebody
1: i'm because i'm kind of like a dog like i have feelings about <laughs>
0: about, about it
1: i don't know about sense like look I maybe have it a, about me too but i don't walk that close to people so
0: when, when a dog approaches you to smell you the dog wants to smell you. i guess so you know when you just smell a stranger <laughs> in public you're like i didn't need to i didn't need to smell that you need to smell that person <laughs> So anyway All of that said Karaoke smelling people There's no clean segue there But it, I know we've been Talking about this On our social media And everyone's very tired of it But We're doing I don't think a, a, This is like Sort of in honor of uh, The fact that I finally got my album out mm-hmm. So uh, Go listen to it uh, It's again. very good It's very good For yes. the millionth time It's fine
1: It's a lot of fun Yes And also I will say There's uh If you lo- like this show There's You know There's a lot of Uh overlap between like the kind of topics we talk about here and maybe some things that happen in the songs it's like you may, you may see some of that
0: i mean you know i want to talk about a homunculus all the time yeah
1: exactly you
0: know so it just it, it, it comes out in your art too
1: okay but you're talking about the performance
0: the performance next week next sunday we are going to be on a youtube uh live stream and of course like you don't have to watch it live but sunday afternoons Um, We're going to be doing the quarantine concerts by a friend of a friend of ours, who is Galen Lee. And um, if you're like an NPR kind of person, you may have seen her performance on Tiny Desk Concert um, Mm -hmm. a few years ago. So she was like the Tiny Desk Concert winner for her song, Someday Will Linger in the Sun which is like a beautiful song. She's a Mm -hmm. really amazing songwriter. And during quarantine, since she hasn't been able to tour, she's doing these quarantine concerts on YouTube every week. And because we have a mutual friend, I was invited to be able to be on her show. So February 7th, look for Galen Lee on YouTube. Uh And And we'll post things about it. But it's going to be
1: pretty cool. I think we'll probably play two, uh, two or three songs from the new album and it'll be appropriate arrangements. And we're practicing a lot. I think it'll be fun.
0: Yes, the metronome is out. So yeah, so check that out. Okay, with all of that smell and singing talk, Mm -hmm. what are we talking about today?
1: was pretty fitting because on today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the bard or singer archetype. I think it's a pretty good one. I know. Uh, I was pretty happy about puppets, but this is a pretty good one, too. <laughs>
0: You're uh, like, nothing will top puppets. I have
1: a puppet-like idea for the future. But anyway, this one's a pretty good <laughs> This was This one's a really good one. I, I like this one.
0: Well, this is one that I've been wanting to do for okay. a long time. And yeah. then we just figured that this was a cute time to do it because my albums <laughs> right. came out.
1: Yeah, this is a neat one, though. I have four of them. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight.
0: Yeah, so uh, for purposes of our countdown here, getting us warmed up, what is a bard?
1: Okay for our show, I think this is somebody who has a role in the story that is that of a musician um, often a singer but doesn't have to be. Um, and they could be a poet. they're like a they're like the performer of the group but most often a musician I think.
0: Yeah yeah a musician could be poet. Could be other instruments involved, Uh singing primarily, but doesn't have to be. Uh And so where do our notions of bards come from?
1: Well, I think we probably lean into the musician part, like I was saying, because we often think about a bard as somebody who's walking around with a lute and singing in a tavern or something. But broadly, they're poets uh, who write verses about important things in the area and um, you know, traditionally they'd recite them as song or perform speech. They're like um, composers of the culture. Like if the bard is singing about it, that was what's on TV during whatever period we're talking about
0: oh there we go yeah i like that 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 is
1: they're like how we knew about about culture like a town crier that you actually want to listen to or something
0: (laughs) a town crier who's who's doing it in hit form
1: yes uh and that was a bit of a preamble because you're asking where they where they came from but um like you were suggesting this was a real occupation at different points in history Uh, originally they were celtic composers of eulogy and satire And then later, this became more of a formal...
0: When you say that together, it makes it sound like a bard would come to your funeral to
1: roast you, which would be
0: kind of awesome, actually. Just like, let me tell thee about Sir Thomas. You
1: know,
0: like... He, he stayed had... and
1: I tended and emptied his chamber pot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he had the widest robes for he had the staunchest butt. Like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. There you go. Yeah, so they were definitely the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Right, but
1: then they needed to tighten that up. And so it became more of an informal term for musicians who wrote verses about heroes and their deeds. And that's probably where we start getting the traditional idea And this occupation falls out of fashion at the end of the European Middle Ages, but it survived in Wales and Ireland, and there were even, like, distinct grades there of bard in the 10th century, which was pretty interesting. Like, I'm a first-class bard, and you, you kind (laughs) of suck. Like, those bar chords, that F, that's pretty hard to do on the lute. I don't know if you can do that.
0: Yeah, even back then, there was, like, snobbery in hobbies and niches, like, which is one of my favorite things in the world. I think that's hilarious to have, like, a very, very uh, niche hobby or interest, but the only people who are there are the people you have to work with. Have you
1: seen thou tallow drippings? Pitiful. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> and so, like, and so you're gonna have to, like really like I, I do imagine there was probably quite a bit of exclusion going on mm-hmm. there socially because if you're like a good bard and then your cousin who's not as good of a bard Has also thou tr-
1: consider the triangle <laughs>
0: <laughs> perhaps barding is not your calling cousin perhaps only one family needs like, a bard what about the sheet
1: music for seventh chair <laughs> loot but cousin
0: you have many other fun qualities <laughs> anyway Uh, uh,
1: how's thou considered chamber pot cleaning? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: I like the water to be blue in there. What? Bards were a big deal. Uh, in the middle ages, kings and chieftains acquired their services, uh, and bestowed gifts to them in exchange for the, for the services. And on some occasions, monasteries, uh, also maintained bards to serve them as genealogists and historians. Uh, as early medieval literature, was not yet written down.
0: Okay. So
1: it, they they were important.
0: Then they weren't even doing scrolls yet. They yeah. weren't even doing, like, p- punishing scroll duties. Like, cousin, you would not make a good bard, but perhaps you'd like to be on scroll duty.
1: I'd be trying to sneak some of my people into the lineage of uh, kings and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah. Sir William
1: Slade. <laughs> Three dragons.
0: (laughs) And his cousin, Sir Thomas. (laughs) Sir Steve slayed
1: two. Still good.
0: Your cousins just pop up in the story. (laughs) He was the king's most trusted advisor? This Um, all definitely happened, yes. And then
1: I'm going to bring us to to current times uh, to sort of hand off to you here. But we probably think about them mostly in fantasy stories. And this probably happened mostly because they were a character class that got introduced in Dungeons and Dragons, in the uh, beginning, in the 60s, and if you've played it or know anything about it, it's sort of like a priest, magician, seer sort of class. So that's probably where we get used to seeing the musician as part of like an adventure group, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's definitely the point. Was Dungeons and Dragons, as we we've talked about. So basically, there's always those two anchor points for nerd culture, which is what did Tolkien write yeah. in, in The Lord of the Rings era and then how did dungeons and dragons take that and turn it into what we recognize today
1: yeah and- like that high high fantasy and very good low fantasy
0: yeah, yeah, and and before that, um, there actually were sort of like famous bards who were sort of characters in their own right, uh-huh. and I'll, I'll just i won't hit you with. Oh, one. I want to
1: hear about it. So this is like like Michael Jackson or Madonna. Yeah, from different this times. is this okay. is like
0: this is like the the biggest of the bards. Okay, so this we, is like like the we got, Yeah, so, so we we got dudes like Taliesin. W- Ooh, was a that's a great name it is a 6th century Welsh bard known for writing the book of Taliesin which we can all agree that naming the book of your songs after yourself is a baller move no uh-huh. matter what the era is uh-huh. it's just like there's nothing more to be said it's just the book of Taliesin you and know what the,
1: it's like a bunch of songs
0: yeah like like a bunch of there. he was historically actually a dude who um, was said to be like the bard for at least three different kings like so okay. like he sang in like three different courts and he did write down like his most favorite fa- famous songs in a book. And he's like, I know what sells, put my name on it. You don't want to, you, you know, <laughs> we can't call it Tales of Adventure. You got to call it the Book of Taliesin, and then everybody will know that it's mine. And
1: then Hal Leonard is like, hmm.
0: <laughs> it's like, okay, Book of Taliesin written for Beginner Harmonica. Go. And then, however, interestingly enough, now this is from com. The second Taliesin is a figure from mythology and one sort of associated with other mythological f- figures and folklore and like metaphysical transformational poetry. So Taliesin sort of be- like rises from just being a dude who existed in history to kind of like a mythical figure oh. character. So that's like the first time we were like talking about a bard in a in more of a story removed way, right? Like,
1: Oh, so you get the mantle passed to you
0: yeah or you know or you sort of like transcend to become like a spirit you know like kind of a deal which is cool so it's like
1: uh guardian from dc comics or spawn
0: it's just (laughs) like spawn in every conceivable way let's draw the venn diagram okay okay Um, Yeah, so, I mean, like, I thought that was pretty cool. And then, of course, um, we know that there's not, like, fast forward, there's not any, like, bard character in the Lord of the Rings, um, and that's why he has the hobbits sing all their little songs in the book, Uh which is an example of the kind of thing I skip over when I'm reading, (gasps) which I know some people are like, how dare you? That's the best part of the whole series. I love the hobbit songs. I
1: only read the Tom
0: Bombadil part. But apparently, minstrels do appear in the world, and I'm going to say the words that every nerd loves to hear: minstrels do appear in the world, comma if you consult the Silmarillion.
1: Oh, okay. okay.
0: So there are like they're referenced there, but there's just not one in the main Lord of the Rings stories. All right. So again, fast forward to Dungeons and Dragons, hooking up where you said.
1: Okay.
0: Doug Schweigman. said that the bard class that they made was a hodgepodge of at least three different kinds of, like, historical bards. The Norse Skald, the Celtic Bard, and the Southern European Minstrel. And so they made this character kind of a jack-of-all-trades, a fighter, and a bit of a rogue. And that's okay. kind of like who was, at like, at they were introduced. The character in the D&D has sort of undergone some different, like the character class has undergone some transformations mm-hmm. over time. But that's how how and why they were introduced. So bards in any kind of fantasy story that we might be familiar with now, like Toss a Corn to Your Witcher, uh-huh. who will not be on this countdown, um, or Tom Marilyn from The Wheel of Time, Come from this template, uh-huh, and excuse me I'll just go ahead and say it for you. Excuse me, Tamirlin was a demon, he was not a bird, <laughs> he's a bard functionally, okay yeah, yeah, thank you but but anyway, yeah that that's it is like like you said that high fantasy, low fantasy uh-huh. fun thing, um yeah. But for our purposes, are you only doing like Bardy Bard Bards? Like, no, so so. They're how the are we They're the person who has the
1: role of the Bard. Okay. in the party, uh, this is the like a performer who I think like draws out the character of the group and like says something about the culture a little Ooh, bit. Ooh,
0: I like that. That's um, good. It's, yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's the person who like reveals what the people are thinking about and what they want outside of the plot. Usually, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's like that's cool. I like that. Because, like, I'm thinking what we like to do on this show. This is not a show of collection and ranking. This is a show of curating and contextualizing, right? Yeah,
1: we're going to make a killer chessboard at the end of this somehow.
0: Yes yes and so like you know we're looking to expand the definition a little bit but then also to sort of honor the history of the bard mm-hmm. in my mind that's what i'm kind of thinking hey, yeah, or
1: sort of see how these uh characters uh show up in different ways through history or whatever like yeah. how, they, how they preserve and change there
0: and you go exactly i love it okay well with all of that in mind and that is a very good bardy bard bard explanation yes, of, they'll bards, sing of this <laughs> the poets will sing of, <laughs> of that list um Oh, yeah. Anyway, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to start us off with your first pick?
1: Number eight. All right, the first pick on this list is an opera singer and a Magitech knight. (laughs)
0: <laughs> as so many of <laughs> us are.
1: Uh, this is Celeste from the video game Final Fantasy VI.
0: Ooh. So starting us off strong with a good video game choice.
1: Yeah, I like to do that sometimes. I don't know why. I guess it feels sort of light and I have good memories about it. We ha- Have we talked about Final Fantasy yet?
0: I think we have a bit. We've touched on it a bit, but oh. not, you know, like at length, I don't think. Okay.
1: you. Yeah. I, as I remember, I think you really got into Final Fantasy stuff with like, the PC era of Final Fantasy games, like where they were good, enough, we could put them on PCs.
0: Yeah, like I, I didn't play until we had a gaming PC. Um, You know, like I, I missed the PlayStation 1 era, which was like the big one, right? Because uh-huh. that was yes. Final Fantasy 7. So, right. like, you know, I, I missed out on all that because I was poor. But <laughs> from what I <laughs> understand, yeah. I mean, we know the Final Fantasy series. I mean, they're like, this is just one of the big series, you know, of, like of gaming. Is kind of like the
1: Japanese Dungeons and Dragons or something? I don't know.
0: I mean, I I can go with that. Okay, I don't know. I'll play
1: with that. But <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Final Fantasy VII because uh, that is the one everybody talks about with the giant sword man. Um, but six is my favorite. Uh, I think this is the artsy one uh, to like. Like this is the critic's choice Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this came out in '94 for the Super Nintendo. And I think this is one of those great examples of the amazing creativity you can squeeze out of something when you have tons of limitations. They did some truly outstanding things with story and uh, with uh, the technology that you weren't really supposed to be able to pull out of the Super Nintendo. This was a real artistic contribution is what I'm trying to say. Which is, Um,
0: it's cool to think about that too because from what I remember, the marketing around Super Nintendo was all uh, just about the graphics. You know, yeah. you didn't even expect the games to be any different than how they used to be. It was just That's like, right. oh, here's going to... It's going a side-scroller, and then look you know, look, you can ride Yoshi. Yeah. I mean, you know, like...
1: And the FX chip and all that.
0: And there didn't seem like there were a lot of people who were trying to make games that started to push the boundaries of what a system would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And a good example of this is a major part in the story for Final Fantasy VI uh, where there was an opera scene featuring this character, Celeste. So I think the, the big thing to say about this is that this is for fantasy art boys of the period this was a big deal like all like sensitive into fantasy young men know what i'm talking about here
0: all the the soft boys of the 90s yeah yeah okay
1: uh so uh, i'm trying to compare it to something i decided it was probably most like um how high school girls during our time were into titanic like that the the how they felt about that. I think, I think this is the Titanic for fantasy boys. Okay. (laughs) Okay, All right. Uh, Proceed. uh, Like even right down to, if somebody walked into the room during the scene, when it was happening, it would look ridiculous and be horribly embarrassing, but you'd be like, shut up and you're crying because it's so important. okay? Okay. And there are a lot of similarities in the scenes too. Okay. But here's what was going on. You have a party of adventurers, including Celeste. She's a magic knight who leaves the bad guys to sort of make things right in the world. And your team needs an airship, and you find out the airship pilot whose services you want to seek is in love with an opera singer named Maria. So Celeste decides to impersonate Maria uh, in the opera, which is a pretty fun idea.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So, and then (laughs) you get this whole chapter that is the opera, and all the actions and dialogue happen in time to the music on this little bit chip thing. And the opera sets up everything that's happening in the world. So rather than sending you to the four corners of the map, you get to figure out everything that's happening and see all the drama from the character's points of view uh, in this opera. And to sort of set the stage, I'll sort of explain that it's set in a time that's like our second industrial revolution. So it's like a steampunk thing, which is where the opera comes from. And there are the armies of the East who are battling the forces of the West. And there's a hero in the Western army named Draco who is in love with the Western princess Maria. And when the West loses the war and Draco is presumed lost, Maria is forced to marry the Eastern prince Ross.
0: Oh, okay. Boo.
1: Okay, so here is the special part that makes Titanic boys cry, okay? Uh, You have to choose the right lines for Celeste to sing in the opera, like if the music's playing and then your cue is coming up, like here's your moment to sing, and then you get dialogue choices and you see which one would make best sense with the music. And the Super Nintendo actually does a synthesized voice to mimic the pitch changes of you saying the line and the syllables of you speaking. So it's not really a voice, but they followed kind of how your voice would fluctuate if you said the line. And it's just when it happened, I was like, oh my God, it's the singing. Yeah, that would have been
0: very mind blowing. It was.
1: It was. That's exactly what it it was. It was mind blowing. And also, like, kudos to the English translator for still making the syllables match when they had to do the port. I mean, it was really impressive. It was really cool. And then the whole staging is great. Like, there's dancing with the Ghost of Draco. And there's an orchestra pit. And I have to say, there was one of the funniest things I've ever seen uh, on YouTube comments where everybody's talking about the opera scene, and somebody says, the conductor is rushing.
0: <laughs> and if you look,
1: he's going up and down, up and down, up and down real fast at all the little beard Come people. Come on, band. <laughs> Exactly.
0: Look at me. Look at me, band. I understand that my band director conductor voice is probably not resonant with a whole lot of you who had conductors. But well, that, I assure you, that is how mine went. You know what? I, I,
1: what is it about band directors that kind of share something with like um, army, like drill instructors? <laughs> well, I guess it's because marching band yeah. is very much runs like a drill.
0: They really, really leaned into that. And I think most was, of them
1: had military background or loved the military.
0: In some way, yeah. And then also, I, I feel that it was a. A cloak that you could wrap your fragile masculinity in because music, as we all know, is for women right uh-huh. but if you do it like you're in the army like a good old fife and drum then you're covered cuz war is very masculine my
1: band director was kind of was he was big into marches for that reason like uh-huh. the concert concert marches exactly
0: yeah. like, like, it's like very i'm military. not going to have any feelings except for appropriate pride in my community when i'm listening to the marches of john philip Souza
1: <laughs> and our assistant band director was more of the musician and he was always like we're going to put that march up we're going to play ca- theme from carousel <laughs> So. <laughs> uh, uh, so. i don't
0: know that might i might be thought to love someone we can't do that very fragile you had a tune. yeah so anyway okay well we just figured that out anyway
1: but okay you don't have to have too many feelings about it because it is a japanese rpg and the opera is crashed by the comic relief giant octopus bad guy and the impresario of the opera is both horrified and loves that you are fighting the octopus in the middle of his opera And it's a very fun scene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this will liven everything up. It's like, why didn't I just write it into the opera to begin with?
1: Like we were talking about, about the role of the bard in the adventure party. That's why I picked Celeste, because she does what bards do. She made the world feel real through this scene in a way that works a lot better than making you do fetch quests to the corners of all the maps. You know, you get to see it from the perspective of characters and how the war affected them. And when you have these limitations of the system, uh, what better way to show it in this than through exposition or fetch quest? I just thought it was perfectly, represents what a bard should be doing. Number seven. time no see.
0: Gil, how's it hanging? It's hanging great, my friend. So check it out. This is the youngest of my brood, Macon. Macon, this is the band. What up? So the sitter flaked and I got Macon the bacon under my wing. That's cool. At number seven, if you're out on the road feeling lonesome and so cold, all you gotta do is remember Gil from the Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. The good-natured sandwich shop owner and rocker. Will, tell us anything you remember about the show Gilmore Girls
1: um <laughs> the mom and the daughter are kind of bad but they're the <laughs> but they're the protagonists yes like they're getting in trouble and I think the younger one is really French in real life somehow and then well
0: that I don't know where that fact came from but okay
1: okay and I do remember the band the like the band that the some of the people in Stars Hollow the town have and I remember Gil as the guitar player for the band.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that was a very good introduction to the vague memory vault of Gilmore Girls, which we watched on Netflix. It was like the, it's like
1: West Wing for like um slice of life. Like it was like a female West Wing show. Well, female's like West Wing, but it was like West Wing type patter.
0: Yeah, it yeah, it is a patter dialogue show yeah. for hip. Mostly ladies, we'll say. I mean, you know. Oh, I get it. This was the flagship show on the WB from 2000 to 2007. So, this is a real capsule of Audie's magic uh-huh. and, you know, all the skinny scarves and all, you know, like uh-huh. all of that. Um, it's about a closely bonded mother daughter duo living in a fictional New England town called Stars Hollow, uh-huh. as you mentioned. Which is the kind of town where there's always beautiful snow everywhere, but nobody's ever wearing hats or gloves, and you never see or hear a snowplow. Uh-huh. And therefore, it is the kind of town that cannot exist, because I'm like, y'all do not know how to write New England, you do not know how to write where it snows, because Lorelei would have had to get some, su- it would have been a whole plot about who's gonna shovel their walk because you, you can't just get, quote, a boy or a man to come do it. Because guess what? It snowed at 6 o'clock in the morning. You got a big pile outside your front door. Lorelai Gilmore was going to have to get out there with a the snow shovel and get after it.
1: Yeah, and, and am I going to drive to work today? Exactly. Uh, is my am, boss going to be mad if
0: I... Am I going to get in several small car accidents because I'm Lorelai Gilmore? There was like a right. whole freaking, like... Wealth of New England snow topics That they could have covered and never did But uh-huh. anyway, it's that kind of town right. Where it's like, ooh, it's so beautiful and snowing and Where's it's all like, the
1: seafood? They're drinking coffee all the time Where's all the seafood They should have had some That's right
0: You know, so like, you know, you're just watching it And you're like, put on a hat, Rory Your head is cold Like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm looking at that's your That's the daughter That's the daughter Alright, anyway, um, Rory Gilmore, the daughter The Bory, main girl mm. Has a friend named Lane Kim And Lane joins a band called Hep Alien. So they need a guitar player, a second guitar player. So she recruits Gil, who owns the sandwich shop. And it's a running discussion about whether he's too old for the band. Because they're all like teenagers and like young or whatever. But um, he's so good and he has just such good energy that they turn out to be cool with it. And he's a minor recurring character, but they loved him so much they just kept writing him into the uh-huh. show more. And in my opinion, the best part of the show. Uh huh. Honey, kids, I'm in the band! Uh-huh. Yes! He was played by Sebastian Bach. Um, And what was actually hilarious about it Is that he was a really good and natural actor
1: Yes he was He sort of also understood the tone of the show In a way you might not have uh, expected When you brought him in to read
0: Yes And so like he didn't have zero acting experience Because after his time In rocker legends band Skid Row um, He did a stint on Broadway So he had some acting experience And it just And like it's because he just had some pipes, had, still has. Like, he has this amazing, piercing, high tenor voice and a natural vibrato that he has trained his whole life because I read his book, actually. Like, he's very serious about his vocal exercises. Uh Throughout his career, being a ridiculous, I guess you would call it a glam rocker, you Uh know, Skid Row, they, they had that hit, I Remember You, And he was kind of like a pretty boy back then, but also wild as hell as everybody was in the eighties rock scene. And to see him blossom into Gil, the sandwich shop owner who was also in a teenager band was really like gratifying. It was really funny.
1: I liked how he was so excited to be in the band and like his family was so happy for him that he finally got to go back to being in a band after taking the years off. And like he has no embarrassment at all about playing with the teenagers. He's just glad to be there.
0: Oh yeah. And I I saw this great clip of him. I guess it was in between band stints. I don't know, but he was playing a bar mitzvah with another group of people and they were doing a version of Gwen Stefani's Hollaback Girl. And he just (laughs) doesn't, With like such good cheer Like he is happy to be in that room Making music you know It doesn't matter what the room is It doesn't matter how glamorous it is It's just like that's the kind of good natured cheer That you want to have from somebody in your band.
1: I remember I really enjoyed all the scenes where you get like little slices of his like grown man life that like the teenagers just can't relate to. Like <laughs> yeah. like he gets phone calls where like the manager at his sandwich place is asking him what to do about different stuff. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, you need to deal with it. You need to, you know. And he has like his kids uh, need babysitters and stuff. He's always complaining about the, his managers at the uh, sandwich shop.
0: So the, and what I love about this character, um, like piggybacking off of that is that there are insanely talented people in every town, you know, uh, back in the days before we had recorded music and then radio, you know, the, the role of a singer was really like a communal, like it was a community one. It was a local one. You know, you have your people that you would tap to sing. the lady who sings great at church, you know, like they'll sing at your funerals. They'll sing at your bar mitzvahs. They'll Mm -hmm. sing at your weddings, you know? Um, singing was really something that was closely tied to the community and of course it still is today and it doesn't matter like you can travel the hills and dales of the world and there are just insanely talented people living their normal lives and then also being musical even throughout it that's what's you so know? weird
1: to me like when you watch american idol and and people freak out about the people in there like i could think of like five or six girls from my high school who were as good as anybody you see on American Idol. Well, yeah. Idol.
0: I mean, and that's the, that's like the beauty of musical talent really is that like a lot, you know, people have it and you know, you use it like a nobody necess- like you don't necessarily dream of stardom, you know, because uh-huh. for a lot of people, your musical talent is just like, something that you want to integrate into your life and share with others. And like, 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 yeah, you, Kelly Clarkson is a really great singer, but then so is like everybody, you know? And, um, it reminds me of my favorite quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. Cause I know we all have uh-huh. like a top five, Um, where he says, few can pluck the magic string and noisy fame is proud to win them. But alas for those who never sing but die with all their music in them. And so like that really, you know what I mean? Like some people ignore their talents or they ignore like their, their, that special calling. But that's why I love the character of Gil because... He couldn't ignore his talent. Uh-huh. He couldn't ignore his calling. And in every room he's in, he's always a bright light. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter if it's a freaking arena where everybody's chanting your name or if it's, you know, the, the HEP alien garage and your sandwich shop owners calling you on about your stupid problems. <laughs> but I, lo- I love Gil and I love, I love musicians who function that way. So, yay. <laughs>
1: Number six. I was so excited when I thought about this one, and I thought that it was so good when I was telling Rebecca I might do this, I thought she was going to steal it. This is this is a virtuoso musician who appeared in a film called Crossroads. It's not Britney Spears. This is a different Crossroads. This is Jack Butler, the devil's ringer guitarist in the 1986 movie called Crossroads.
0: It's so good that I can't believe it's number six. Like, that's how good this list is, okay? I'm so... Je- I was jealous that you thought of it, and I'm like, that's such a good one. It
1: is so funny and good. Okay. Uh, this movie was a shock to us when we found out it existed. It seemed like something that was made to amuse and delight us.
0: Yeah, like in a time capsule. Like we made it in in like this year, but then we went back in time we made to it have exist it exist made...
1: retroactively. Yeah, as if it, we wanted it to have been formative for us. Yes. If you don't know quite what this is, first of all, it's a Ralph Macchio movie. Karate, At, karate Kid post,
0: guys. Post-Karate Kid, right? At the uh, height, or... I, I'm not sure. Okay. so But yeah, this is like right when his career was really yes, taking yes, off. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Ralph Macchio, people think about him a lot now because of the Cobra Kai stuff. But uh, I don't know that we always really knew about or talked about what a good natural kid actor he was. He
0: really was. He was one of... I'm actually, okay, well, the 80s were lousy with natural kid actors. That's why, you know, the Coreys, That's why Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, like... I'd say Feldman more than Hay, but we did have a lot of good natural kid actors. They weren't
1: real auditiony.
0: Yeah, and I guess I guess in the intervening and, and no years, no regional
1: accents anymore and stuff like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is kind of sad because like uh, th- there's a YouTube a YouTuber I love, Nick Duramio who uh, pointed out that if you watch a movie with, like, a boy-kid actor in it from any time, like, in the modern era, you will notice that they all have that same shaggy boy haircut. And he said it was because they all keep their hair long in case a casting director wants it to be long at any length. And they can cut it to however they want So to keep
1: it that length for pilot season. Yes, Uh exactly.
0: And so once he pointed that out, I cannot unsee it. Because I feel like since, I don't know, maybe the 80s when kid acting really, really blew up for our generation. Like, I feel like there was no child who could ever naturally really go into an audition without either having terribly pushy parents or worse. (laughs) You know, like, like propelling them to be Anakin Skywalker or or, you know I don't know you know what I mean Um, it's sad, but yeah, Ralph Macchio was a great presence on screen. He was really natural yes, when he was so, a kid. Yes, so
1: we might have watched it just because of him, but then we found out that it's a movie about Ralph Macchio wanting to become a legendary blues guitar player and battling the real-life guitar wizard Steve Vai in a guitar duel at the end of the movie. <laughs> so, yes! So, there's no way we couldn't watch that.
0: No, and it's like, I don't even want to share too many of the details of the film because, like, the plot is interesting interesting. interesting and it's also just more bonkers than you could imagine
1: yeah um I I, I will set up the story a little bit for context and I'll and I'll mostly focus on how to get Steve Vai into the picture but very long story short Ralph Maggio is a Juilliard student I don't know his real character's name I'm just gonna call him Ralph Maggio. that's it's it's really it's really fun (laughs) okay but he loves the blues okay like he's doing stuff like in their uh classical guitar class he can't help it he just has to bust out a blues scale and things like that and he gets obsessed with the legend of the real-life blues guitarist Robert Johnson and all the stuff with him about him selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads to get his musical ability. But also, there might be a lost Robert Johnson song out there, and and uh, Ralph Macchio finds out that one of Robert Johnson's old bandmates is still alive, so he seeks him out to sort of like get in touch with this, and it ends up becoming like a coming-of-age story that eventually results in uh, Ralph Macchio and his new friend meeting the devil at the crossroads.
0: Yes, like there was like a big confrontation, like symbolically, <laughs> but also it just really happened yes, in real it, life.
1: It really happened, and Ralph Macho even say things like, "I don't really believe this is real, anyway. Sure, whatever, but but it is real." And he and Ralph Macho ends up wagering his soul to the devil uh, for a chance to win back um his his new old man buddy's soul. Yeah, in so a it's kind of like
0: yeah, it's like choose your champion. Yeah, exactly. And He's like, "I choose you, Ralph Macho." Yes. And, and then and he the, is—he's set to duel against.
1: Yeah, the devil says he has his own man uh, uh, from and Memphis.
0: Steve, yes, it's, it's ridiculous. He's
1: yeah. He says he says he cuts heads every night, and uh, uh. and so he magically transports them to. Uh, Uh, this uh,
0: it's like a really happening club. Yeah, so it's kind of like a speakeasy. There you
1: go. That's what I'm trying to say. That's
0: like all the wood. I think you're, yeah. like like a speakeasy. Okay, so
1: I'm glad we got here fast because I really just wanted to talk about uh, Steve Vai, who's this character Jack Butler. He's like a man who has sold his soul for insane guitar ability to the devil, and it's the devil's man. So, uh, please tell me what you remember about their performance, and maybe maybe sort of lean into like. Um, start with their respective guitars and styles.
0: Oh God. Okay, so I uh, uh, just uh, so just briefly, I will say, can I can I can I give a a disclaimer to anyone who's listening and being like what in the world is going uh-huh, on here? Uh-huh. Okay. D- here's a disclaimer. If it drives you crazy to watch people pretend to play instruments in a movie when you could tell that they can't really play it, you don't have to worry about the film Crossroads because Ralph Macchio actually learned how to play his parts, but they had a guitar coach like actually record them. Uh-huh. Like his guy recorded it for him. But, you know, his hands are doing the right thing. So you don't have to worry about Ralph Macchio, okay?
1: Yeah. Oh, it drives me crazy. I, I can't remember the, there's a famous uh, slide guitar player who recorded all Ralph's parts. It's, uh, what's his, somebody cooter. But anyway, he's a famous slide guitar player.
0: But yeah, so like, you don't have to worry about that. So it's going to sound good. It's going to look appropriate too. But so like, it's, I think it's kind of a question of like Flash uh-huh. versus from the heart.
1: Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: And Steve Vai is doing all the flashy stuff and he's doing like, he's doing <laughs> some uh, finger tapping and like, he's doing sort of like heavy metal blues. Yeah. Whereas Ralph Macchio is playing, again, the blues from the heart.
1: Yeah. And they got, the, di- they got the different guitars to it. Like, Rev Macchio's playing a, a Telecaster and he's playing it with a slide. You know, it's like the, uh, like the, bo- like a bottle cap or like a metal sleeve, you know, and that's like the real, real blues, like Delta sound, like, uh, and uh, and then Steve Vai has some sort of tacky '80s guitar that I couldn't even size up. I assume it's like a Jackson or something. And like Rebecca said, he's doing all the tacky '80s blues stuff. But he's also got a whammy bar. And like Ralph Machio will like play something smooth, and then Steve Vai will get up in his face, and he's like doing the whammy bar in his face, like eat, <laughs> eat that Ralph Machio, hit hey, take that whammy bar. And uh, th- that was just it's it's so funny. Okay. And you know
0: what? It sounds crazy, but the film really earns this moment. Yeah, I'm, yeah, not yeah. Even pl- I'm not even playing. This movie was better than I thought it would be. Like, I thought it would just be crazy, but it was crazy good.
1: Okay. And then, like, yeah, I kind of don't want to get away, but it's not like the heart of the film. So, I, I mean, I wanted to mention it. Then, like, You know, they do this part where they're all playing together so we can see their virtuosity, but then it gets serious because Ralph Macchio is trying to go for the killing blow, and he plays like some awesome blues stuff, and then Steve Vai is supposed to sort of ape it and try to beat it, and it is so ridiculous because Steve Vai is so good at guitar, it's like he decided in the movie to make it look like he's confused by how to play the guitar bad. Like, he wants you to think he can't believably miss notes, so he does these ridiculous things to show you that he can't keep up with Ralph Macchio. And so so he does things like, he'll, like, look at his hand in disbelief, like it betrayed him, and then he will do things like he'll choke notes, and then at the very end, he somehow runs out of room on his guitar to hit the high note that Ralph Machio hit like like he just can't hit it there's just his guitar doesn't have enough frets and he can't bend it far enough to hit the high note that Ralph Machio did
0: so i guess now that i'm remembering this i guess it was supposed to represent that he, that he was being hampered by divine power like the lord was stepping in to ruin his awesome guitar oh, maybe. play i don't know maybe I don't know. I'm. I will not speak for the screenwriters yeah. of cross. But on, but on,
1: but on, uh, from a technical perspective, it is absurd. Your guitar yes. is going to have. <laughs> you maybe have a one fret difference, and you can easily hit all the notes. He it definitely
0: was, knew where that note yeah, was.
1: It's, it's, so anyway, that was just hysterical to me. But anyway, I love that. Steve Vai was a fantasy character musician in this real world, like an evil bard, which we don't see enough of. And also, can we say demons can help you out if you want to be a musician? Like, they're real good to, to yeah. like. And, and also, they're like, they know all the good scales. Like, they're yeah. going to teach you all the like Halloween y type shred
0: stuff. Yeah, they know, sh- shred they stuff they know to do. the good modes. okay? Yeah, yeah
1: exactly.
0: Number five. Well, we're on an 80s tear right here at the minute, because at uh, number five, I give you a bard for an era. A man who might give you the appropriate mood, whether you're avoiding a roving band of vampires on the Santa Cruz boardwalk, or trying to bargain with Master Blaster to keep the lights on at Barter Town. Uh Uh-huh. That is the oiled-up sex man, Tim Capello. (laughs) and i'm using him as a character but also like as himself but him his himself was a character mm-hmm. right this is a, a you
1: were casting tim capello if he's in your movie
0: yeah it's it's a fictionalized larger than life version of a real person basically uh, essentially so tim capello whose name you might not have known but you definitely knew his work and his signature calling card uh, really took off in the 80s because he was a singer and saxophone player who was known for his long locks, uh, his wild saxophone wails, <laughs> and his outrageous gyrations.
1: And he was muscle-bound. Right? And he like,
0: he was also he shredding. He was a
1: bodybuilder. Like, he, um, I don't know. Can I talk about what he looks like a little Please bit? Please do. Yeah, so what, I, what I've seen clips of him recently because you told me you were going to do him is he looked like a... Um, <laughs> He looked like Shawn Michaels with more muscle mass.
0: I was just going to say he looked like Shawn Michaels because I'm thinking, like, guys, who's listening to this podcast? They definitely know what Shawn Michaels looks like. He looks like Shawn Michaels. If Shawn Michaels
1: were a bodybuilder, that's what he would look like.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Instead of, like, a, a more limber, flip-around-the-turnbuckle right. kind of guy, as right. he always was, <laughs> you know.
1: Heard my the- back. On a backslide. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. He was all he was all uh limber legs and and low lunges. Yeah. And muscles. And no,
1: it, no super kicks from Tim Capello.
0: No. So um, <clears throat> I feel like Tim Capello's success was just kind of like, okay, this is the '80s, and the people of the '80s were looking around, and they were like. This is a guy we need everywhere. Like, they saw him and they were like, Yeah, You've I need had a that. few
1: of these. There was something in the 80s where if you had a gimmick, like your mom knew your thing to do in the talent show, you could parlay that into appearances in everything. Like, you could. There was like the, the, um, Elderly lady, three uh, trio singers who were in Golden Girls, the and Del everything.
0: Rubio triplets. Yes, <laughs> yes. There some was some excellent you, bards
1: you talked about in our first episode. The Muscle the Man, the Barbarian Brothers, Brothers. The Barbarian Brothers.
0: If you um, had a good gimmick those twins in the '80s on the
1: motorcycles, yeah, um, you, you just
0: take it everywhere. You yeah. just take it and run with so it. So he
1: he knew his gimmick. He was the muscle bound saxophone man.
0: Yeah, and it's like if you need that, and it turns out a lot of people did. You know, you gonna call up Tim Capello.
1: He had like leather pants and no shirt every all the time. Yes, or
0: jeans with a belt.
1: Okay, 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 (laughs) okay.
0: So he found himself in in music videos like Tina Turner's "We Don't Need Another Hero."
1: He was in another one of hers too, called like like "We Are We Are the Living" or something. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. So she's like, yeah, I need to uh, all the
1: Thunderdome videos he was in. I
0: feel like I've seen him in some live performances that she did too. So I don't think she like took him on the road permanently, but she did. He might have been on that tour, have him around, and uh evidently he played a keyboard player in what's love got to do with it in 93 oh, cool. so cool. they didn't let him do any gyrating because it wouldn't have been appropriate for that film but tina turner clearly was like hey you got to take care of my man tim capello yeah
1: and you keep saying the gyrating too like he does these very very dramatic like uh thrusting and uh, with he's he's playing his notes like to yes the
0: beat. yeah hip like like outrageous hip thrusting and it's like Everybody was kind of like, why have we not thought about doing that with the saxophone before? Like, we need to do that more <laughs> in a rhythmic and methodical, me- you know, fashion, you know? It's
1: funny because the way he dances and stuff, it's like, you just shake your head whenever you hear him play the dirty notes on the saxophone. Where he goes, Rrrr! you know what he does? That? You <laughs> oh, know yeah. it's dirty. It's dirty. It
0: is dirty. That is dirty. There's a long history of dirty notes on the saxophone. <laughs> um, he was also on shows like Miami Vice and, of course, in films like The Lost Boys, where he had a memorable performance of his song, I Still Believe, in the fictional town of Santa Carla, California, uh, where Kiefer Sutherland and his vampire bad boys do bad boy things like walk on the (laughs) merry-go-round. So really, he was a man for the moment. And that's why I picked him, because he somehow managed to crystallize everything about the 80s in one moment in one package. Mm -hmm. And seeing him participate in these fictional universes make me, it makes me feel like you can imagine him into any world. You know what Uh I mean? He was in, you know, Santa Carla, California on the boardwalk. He was in the apocalyptic wasteland. (laughs) He's anywhere. You go to any tavern in the universe, Tim Capello might be there with a saxophone. That's how I, Mm -hmm. I still believe that. And I mean, Hey, if you're interested, you can get a video from him today on Cameo. Oh, that's funny. And he'll do a little saxophoning for you. Is
1: he still shredded? Yeah. All right.
0: right. He's Papaw shredded. He's <laughs> all getting it. So, you know, Tim Capello, we salute you. Check
1: out. Okay, this is a good pick. I
0: okay. believe you. All
1: right, you know what this is. It is a good pick. I don't want to <laughs> oh, hear it. You need to let me go. I
0: thought you were getting me hyped, but now I realize this is inoculation <laughs> advertising. Yes, that's exactly right. What Ro- transformer is it, Will?
1: Robots have culture, too. <laughs> This is Rekgar, leader of the Junkbots, also known as the Junkions, from Transformers the movie.
0: Oh, well, we had gone about 10 minutes without talking about the Transformers, so let's let's talk about they it, t- though. T- look, okay. I I know I understand the importance of the Transformers to the world. It's
1: good. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, have, I have a thing I'm going to talk about.
0: Um, t- tell okay, me, Tell me all about it. All I, right. Look, I love the Transformers. I do. I do. I love the Transformers. I don't Transformers. know if you
1: remember... I don't know if you've seen the movie. I don't know if you remember the movie. But one thing you probably are aware of is that at some point in the movie, we get to hear Weird Al's song, Dare to be Stupid. I do know that. Okay, And that is the song that plays when Rhett Gar and his junk robots show up. Okay, so if nothing else, you know that. They're kind of like the comic relief, but they also make um, an important thing happen in the story, which I'm seeing a lot of the bards do. Um,
0: yes, that's so So far, it ticks the boxes.
1: Okay, you remember this part in the movie?
0: I mean, I remember that it happened. Okay. And I, I know that Weird Al did it. And this was trivia. There's a line in Dare to be Stupid where it talks about you can be a coffee achiever. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? But then I was watching eighties commercial compilations on YouTube. Like I do sometimes to relax. And I saw that it was an ad campaign in the eighties when they were trying to convince people that coffee was cool. This is pre Starbucks. Okay. So they had this whole thing about like, I'm a coffee achiever and they, hired famous people to use that phrase in a commercial, including like freaking Kurt Vonnegut
1: Oh wow! was
0: in the commercial being like, and it was sort of supposed to be like, so like that's part of my
1: ritual as a successful person. Well, yeah, this like, is how I start my day. Yeah.
0: Like I'm a coffee achiever. Like right. this is something that for this young, vibrant culture of people coming up in the eighties, you know you need to be a coffee achiever anyway this was it blew my mind when i learned about coffee achievers well, from the song dare to be stupid
1: it makes sense that you bring it up and i'll talk more about it but uh gar and the junkion's gimmick is that they talk in tv so everything they say is snippets from tv commercials and stuff which is why the song was so fitting for them
0: okay um, I, I, I love that
1: okay we uh, all
0: talk in tv don't we
1: <laughs> I guess that. Yeah. Stop remembering
0: TV and get back to work. <laughs> yes, we do, always. Okay, uh, so we're just like the junkions. The junky. Okay, let's. let's I'm just not going to ask you
1: if you remember what he looks like. I don't. Okay. Well,
0: I do not remember what okay. any robot looks like. He has, okay?
1: he has. He is notable because he has a gross um, Transformers, uh, like long Raleigh Fingers mustache um, that comes <laughs> out like antennas or something.
0: Oh, but it's like antennas. It's not really hair.
1: It's not hair. Okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're like little rubber hoses or something. Uh, and, and all the junk bots are made from like Thunderdome parts on this um, junk planet, like shields and, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and you may be wondering, how am I stretching this into a bard? <laughs> I think this is not really a stretch at all because Rekgar checks several boxes. He uses his performance to reveal things about culture in the Transformers universe that we usually wouldn't get to see um he's the only time you get to learn about galactic communication media and recreation for the transformers and all that stuff this is all the stuff that happens between the lasers we would never get to see otherwise
0: yeah this is like the whole slice of the world
1: okay so listen to all the things he does this I, i got three things here one uh first of all he shows us the universal greeting Because the Autobots are fighting with the junk bots. And then to to make peace, they end up having to figure out how to communicate to each other. So the Autobots have to open communication with them. And they uh, say that line about the, uh, Ba-weep-ninny-bomb. And then they have to repeat it back to each other a bunch to sort of, you know, with a different cadence, and then they can establish a rapport.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Then he demonstrates his strange way of talking. Uh, and he is a poet. They talk in, in in pieces of TV because they collect broadcasts from all over the galaxy, which we also learn about their culture that way. And so they speak in those phrases from commercials and stuff. And they're saying stuff like, uh, um, limit, limited time early. Uh, we'll fix. No fuss, no muss. And they repair some of the Transformers and stuff like that. So he's yeah. like a poet. Okay. And then the music. We get... Uh, a scene that is, I think, the only scene in the Transformers movie where the Transformers acknowledge the presence of music. So, Wreck-Gar is not singing, but while the soundtrack is going, there's a suggestion that the music is playing from all the old radios or something, and the Transformers start dancing, and like one of them tries to kiss Grimlock the dinosaur, and it's like the Ewoks celebrating in Return of the Jedi. (laughs) And we never see the Transformers at play, at rest.
0: Right! well, yeah, you gotta, you you need to know what you're fighting to protect. Exactly, when you're fighting the evil forces of the Decepticons.
1: And, and really, especially if you're a real young kid or something, you need scenes like this to also really establish they're the good guys because it just looks like robots at war a lot of times if you're not seeing. You know, people do good guy stuff. So so we get get stuff revealed there.
0: Dancing is a good guy yeah, stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. Unless you're dancing in like a capering menacing way, like Delight of Being Evil. That's different.
0: Destroy Unicorn. Kill the Grand Hub. Eliminate even the toughest stage. Number
1: three. I've written a letter to Daddy. Say, I
0: love you. All right, moving away from the 80s. <laughs> boo. Not too far. <laughs> no, moving away from the 80s as we count up, um, I give you... Baby Jane Hudson. Uh-huh. From the 1962 film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane?
1: This is a pretty entertaining one. Yeah. Listen.
0: Play. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I enjoyed...
1: Okay. I enjoyed... We watched this recently. I was... I enjoyed this quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, you really forget... You know, I guess every generation thinks that their generation was the one that figured all culture stuff out. But, like, you really forget how... Camp sensibility was part, you know, like is has been a part of media for a long time. Uh huh.
1: And and they were definitely self-aware of what they were doing. This wasn't like just a a retro, retroactive, you know, retrospective perception of what's happening.
0: Absolutely not. So this is the uh, film with Betty Davis playing Baby Jane, um, and then of course Joan Crawford. So, this is a riveting psychological horror story that, at its heart, is about trauma and blood rivalry between sisters. You know, I say everything is about trauma. It is. Okay. <laughs> So, Betty Davis plays Jane Hudson, who was once a very big child star in like 1917. So, this is, they kind of like wrote her to be like Shirley Temple, yeah. but pre Shirley Temple. Yeah, man, I've
1: so many things I want to talk about just hearing this. Okay, yes, yeah, so I was going <laughs> to say the Shirley Temple thing for sure. Yeah. Okay,
0: so, you know, she was spoiled, adored, catered to, was a horrible brat um, huh. as a child star. And her sister, Blanche, watched this whole thing play out. As adults, however, their fortunes flip, and Baby Jane's sister, played by Joan Crawford, became the famous and well-known actor as an adult, while Baby Jane, frozen in time, went into obscurity and only worked because her sister insisted on letting her have bit parts in her films, okay? And then in a bitter twist, Baby Jane is now the caregiver for her sister Blanche, because Blanche was paralyzed in a car accident, whose fault is unknown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's all you need to know about the setup, okay? So this film has a bunch of very twisted moments. It is a horror film, psychological horror. Yeah, I didn't realize
1: that going into it.
0: um, Where Baby Jane is being not a good caregiver, but then also concurrently with this, uh, she has decided to resurrect her career, and she hires an accompanist With money that she should not be spending. Uh And uh, she tries to get her old hit polished back up.
1: Her old child hit.
0: Her old child hit. So
1: it is a very haunting pretty upsetting hysterical can't take your eyes away performances where she rehearses it several times
0: yes uh the, her her childhood hit is a mawkish tune called <laughs> i've written a letter to daddy <laughs> and it's, that a, is a,
1: it's lugubrious too because yeah, because yes.
0: i've written a letter to daddy yeah and uh yeah it's about His address is heaven above. Because, of (laughs) course, like she's also trying to reach for these notes before the octave break in her voice. And, you know, it's horrible um, because she doesn't have her child's voice anymore, obviously. And it's 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 this... It's
1: just blaring.
0: I've written a letter to
1: Daddy saying I And the whole time uh when she's doing that i remember the accompany uh, accompanist on the piano he keeps like looking at her with big eyes and then just, just disgust <laughs> like oh
0: no, we'll, we'll talk about yeah we'll, we'll get into him okay so also just one a couple more details when she's trying to resurrect her career she's also doing this with like rag curls yeah. you know like like in a, in a child's dress it's Oh, yeah, she's
1: got a lot of, like, creepy boxes of old things to try on.
0: Yeah, yes. So this is Will's favorite trivia. Now, uh, Victor Buono plays her piano player, Edwin, that you just mentioned, her accompanist, uh, who was a scumbag happy to scam her for money, but then also was just like, what am I watching? You know, Uh he was a really great addition to the cast, and he had really great chemistry with her. Um, and of course we all know him we've even already talked about him on this podcast as king tut from the batman uh the, original series
1: yeah the 60s yeah, yeah the 60s uh he is just so good he is so funny he really he's such is a, he's a like he's just got so much character and presence on the screen he's so funny how many times must i tell you queens consume nectar and ambrosia not hot dogs
0: And, I mean, he worked steadily. Uh, He died in 1982, and, I mean, he worked steadily, like, all of those years, like, in the, you know, in the 60s and beyond. He worked the whole time, but, like, you may not have necessarily known the shows, or they didn't really last. But, you know, he was one of those character actors who was all over television. Mm -hmm. A real treasure. So, this was a great moment for him, to be the scumbag pianist for Baby Jane Hudson. So, anyway, it's fantastic. If you've not watched it, it's definitely worth a watch. And uh, I pick her because this is someone for whom being a singer was tragically imprinted on them. And she had no say in the matter ever. And she was doomed before it even all started. So sort of the Black Mirror version of the Bard, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's why I pick her because, you know, I can't go five minutes without talking about trauma. But also, it's just, it's a great, it's a great, great character for someone, someone for whom being adored as a singer goes even it's like putting the cart before the horse you know uh-huh. like being adored as a singer goes before even the craft of singing uh-huh. and just being this horrible crass like commercial uh, product which is again the black mirror version of a bard we salute you baby Jane Hudson I love-
1: This is another opera pick. I, th- I bet you didn't know that about me, that I love opera.
0: <laughs> I bet, just learning new things every day.
1: I think I love opera if it involves magic or aliens, probably. All the good ones I do. would like a robot opera.
0: I mean, I'm surprised there's not one.
1: Do not cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> uh
0: and then you clap like by pressing buttons on your <laughs> that's right it's like listen to the adoring crowd <laughs> anyway
1: this is plava laguna the blue alien singer from the fifth element
0: yay i mean she's a great character mm-hmm.
1: uh this is another example of where an opera performance became a major centerpiece of a fantasy story. I really like when that happens. Um, If you're not familiar with this movie uh, or you want to remember a little bit, this was from 97, starring Mila Jovovich and Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker. But the real star was this character called the Diva, whose real name in the movie was called Plava Laguna. I feel like Even if you have good feelings about this movie, the only two things you're going to remember are Chris Tucker was great. Yeah, yep. (laughs) And the D.Va performance made you go, holy crap, when you saw it.
0: Yeah, the D.Va is the moment that you definitely remember in that film. Yes,
1: and and also I bet you watched it because this was during the... um, uh, Gary Oldman heyday yeah so so, my sister
0: loved Gary Oldman and, he, and thus we had to watch this film yeah he
1: played he played the bad guy creep who's always after these these stones
0: and he, he was a little ugly in the movie but she's like I don't care yeah. I love Gary Oldman <laughs> we have to watch this anyway okay,
1: okay so like we did for the other ones I won't, I won't uh, you know recite the whole plot but to get us some context for the diva um, basically there are some ancient stones that can stop a great evil and they've been entrusted uh, with the diva And the Earth government sends Bruce Willis undercover to meet her at a concert and get the stones. Okay, so that's why we're at the opera concert. Uh, Let's just talk about what she looks like first, because I think that really helps paint the picture. Uh, Can can I ask you to sort of talk about your memory of her?
0: Okay, so she has a very angular alien head and Uh a lot of blue tubes that are... Sort of like part of it, like hair, uh-huh. like hair, but also head tubes. Yeah, and she's very blue and very beautiful. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Um. That. Yeah. The only other thing I would probably add is that uh, her head is elongated and curls back on itself. Um, I thought I wrote down that I thought her head, she looked like a beautiful shrimp. Like I imagine, <laughs> she I does they, look like a beautiful. She's shrimp. like from a crustacean planet, I imagine, or something like that. Oh, that was cool. The character in the in the movie was played by a French actress Maiwen Labesco. I think she's French, and her singing voice is provided by Albanian opera singer Inva Mulaçako. But back to the story, we learn that she is renowned in the galaxy for her talent, and we get to see her do a whole performance, and. It's a big moment. It starts out as a traditional opera song that uh, coincides with some mounting drama happening elsewhere in this flying hotel. So the song goes on while the bad guys are ransacking her room uh, and she's making eye contact with Bruce Willis because I guess she knows he's the contact. And then the action starts and this is what people remember. It's right here when the bad guys start shooting lasers that a dance beat drops and she starts swaying And then she starts singing this eerie opera on top of the dance beat. But the song has these impossible intervals that no human voice could mimic. Um, I don't know how you would describe it, but when I was listening to it again, I thought it sounded kind of like, a woodwind if you were like collapsing your fingers over the holes or something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, or maybe like hitting the octave key or something or.
0: And, and interestingly, I have since seen tons of people who are like YouTube opera people do versions of the diva dance. Like where, I mean, you know, they, they've obviously programmed with software, like an impossible run that is like maybe a 30 second, 30 second note run, that you can just kind of like glide through with your human voice, right? But like it is uh it does sound like yeah, you know, like a lot like a woodwind, but the notes have been elided together. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, yeah. yeah. a while ago where they said the opera singer they were shocked when they got the uh recordings back for her because she actually did some of the stuff they didn't expect her to the human to do that they yeah. were going to program but she went ahead and did it and they're like oh crap we'll use
0: that <laughs> like so, never mind then
1: so good job In- inva mula um <laughs> and you know i didn't have too much more to say other than like it was it was just like an amazing thing to see like uh on film i mean it's so rare that you'd be able to do something that surprised people, but I think most people who saw that were surprised and it made me try you to know, think when about that,
0: when that beat drops and you're like yeah. and you're like, yeah, this song got and good. And then
1: it got crazier with the aliens alien stuff because I I just it was it was so so cool. Um and I was trying to think about the last time I remember like a showstopper performance in real life because, you know, besides like Super Bowl, that's not as much of a thing we remember anymore. <laughs> like that's true. huge performances. The only thing I could think of, and these are just personal ones to me, I think, were maybe like when the band Heart did Stairway to Heaven. At now, the,
0: at the Kennedy Center Honors video. Yeah, for that's... Led
1: Zeppelin. They sang it to Led Zeppelin in the crowd. And Robert Plant notoriously does not care to hear covers of Led Zeppelin, but he said, no, they did it. That was amazing.
0: Yeah, that was really good.
1: We need a diva. We need a... Mysterious well, diva.
0: I mean, I, I do think Mariah Carey is probably our closest living oh. diva in that she is mysterious and she only comes out at Christmas time <laughs> to bless us with Christmas content. Oh, that's funny. And then to remind everyone that she's the only person in living memory who has put a new song into the undisputed Christmas canon. All wow. I want for Christmas is you.
1: Wow. She's, yeah. um, what's that bard? That bard you talked about at the beginning of the show. Try from Chan Chan Pan.
0: Tall Yesen.
1: Yeah, she's our Tall Yesen.
0: Our Tall Yesen. Yeah, Mariah Carey our Christmas <laughs>
1: our Tall Yesen.
0: She appears. It's the Diva.
1: <laughs> I don't know her.
0: <laughs> All right, before we name our top bard or singer, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions.
1: Honorable mentions.
0: Ooh, he didn't run them down. I did.
1: Okay, here we go. Another, I said, I, I did have, I did have the Witcher cause it's a big, it was a big thing in pop. Yeah. Josh yeah, yeah. uh, J- I think, um, that the coin to the Witcher. So I have, yeah, yeah.
0: I got to tell you that that annoys me though, because like the reason why everybody thought that was such a good song is cause they wrote like a contemporary chorus hook into a bard song. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's cute. If you want to do that, but like, what are we doing here? What is this? What is the yeah, show?
1: It took you right out of the Witcher world.
0: That's right. That's you right. just, it's a, that's an anachronism that I couldn't stomach.
1: Okay, I'm going for a hardcore bard from Dungeons & Dragons. From the Dungeons & Dragons Forgotten Realms novels about Arlen Moonblade, the half-elf, she was betrothed to Danilo Thane, the extravagant and ridiculous dandy bard and spell-slinger who I loved reading about. I remember, I remember there was something where he talked about how he had such great memory for spells and how he would close his eyes and he would see gold letters on black and then black letters on gold and that's how he remembered everything and i would try to do that all the time when i was in middle school (laughs) so i'd love danilo fan see i still remember that um and then uh the rooster from uh the robin hood cartoon
0: okay to that i add melodia from the silver hawks Uh uh-huh uh tenacious d from the greatest song in the world the tribute to the greatest song in the world it was not the greatest song in the world Uh huh. Uh, Cassandra from Wayne's World.
1: Oh, great. Great. Dreamweaver, yeah. <laughs>
0: and uh, David Brent from the UK office.
1: Yeah, that was really good. He, he even danced. <laughs> okay, so, Rebecca, who is the your number one bard or singer of all time? Number one.
0: Who is our number one bard or singer of all time? Because Will gave me this idea, but I decided to run with it because yeah, I thought good. Yeah,
1: you researched it. it. I didn't read about it.
0: Well, okay, so my number one pick is none other than Lieutenant Uhura from the USS Enterprise, the communications officer on the bridge of the Enterprise under James T. Kirk. Mm-hmm. And my argument is that she was the bard of the Enterprise.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: ship Enterprise, there's someone
1: who's in Satan's guise, whose
0: devil ears and devil eyes could rip your heart from you. Okay, this is this another
1: really, not a stretch. This is another this not a stretch. This is not a stretch. This is a really... This, is more, this works.
0: Everything made sense once I started thinking of her as the bard of the Enterprise. So let's talk about the role of the bard, all right? Their charisma is their highest skill, okay? They use it a lot in diplomatic encounters that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. You, you have your bar do stuff when you're in town. Not so much when you're fighting, like he pr- pr- participates, right? But when you're in town and something could go wrong. Yeah,
1: or wait, like when she had to open that book to uh, get through the Klingon uh, security, to get in their, uh, yes. t- their system. That was funny.
0: And they work to strengthen their team in combat, okay? She's on comms. Yeah. That is a bard's role, okay? And she even sings a couple of times, which when you're watching the show or the films, you're like, why? But when you think, like, yeah, if she's just another c- crew member, you're like, why is Uhura singing the song to Spock? You know, for no reason. But once you know that she's the secret bard of the USS Enterprise, then you know she's probably singing all the time, and we just didn't get to hear it.
1: Yeah, because uh, when you're talking about the woman she's singing to Spock, I think that was... Um the Charlie X episode, and I think number one just knew she was a good singer because Spock was playing his little uh, evil Vulcan lute, and she like nods over here, like go on, let's go sing with him because she knows she's the singer.
0: Yeah, so think about the moment in Star Trek 5, The Final Frontier.
1: That's the one where they go to meet God, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, where she does the fan dance on top of the dunes in <laughs> yeah. order to entice a bunch of space dirtbags to come out of hiding. And oh, it works!
1: I love that scene because you can hear the things they're muttering when they get excited right Here you hear what I'm going, to like, woman!
0: Woman! <laughs> woman! Woman! <laughs> woman. woman. Yeah. No. No. Because she sings this beautiful haunting melody and does this beautiful fan dance with her beautiful body and the beautiful silhouette of this beautiful sand dune. And you're like, what am I watching? <laughs> However, when you know, now that you know she's the bard of the USS Enterprise, it makes sense. And it ties everything together. So she was the glue that held the party together. And we salute her.
1: I read a, a book about her like a, a couple of years ago. And she was like a real... Uh, dancer and singer, like before Star Trek and everything. So I think they just knew they needed to use her. Like, they were that like, we, the we,
0: we can't let this go to waste. It's just too much talent. It's and so too I saw good.
1: on a YouTube comment somebody said they met her at a convention and she said that fan dance scene was her favorite scene she had done. So she, she approved of that scene and loved it.
0: And it, it's really charming. It's really delightful. And like, again, out of context, it's just kind of like, what? Like, why did they put this in here? But then again, think of her role. And the importance of the bard. You it shows know?
1: how they, yeah, you know, what they think about in their recreation time. Like she's, you know, this is how we see the family and the culture of the enterprise. And yeah, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. To, that that makes tons of sense. Doesn't it? She's just... a communicator. Yeah.
0: Yes. So again, our favorite bard. We love you, Lieutenant Uhura. Oh, bring peace, I love with you.
1: What did we learn here?
0: Um, We learned that Will loves the opera. I
1: do. I do love where the bard gets to shine in the story. I think that makes the world real. I like that You love
0: when the opera is the setting of something else exciting.
1: Yeah. I do like that. I do like that. Yeah. Not the opera itself. Like, if I went to an opera, I'd be looking around like, "Uh, huh? (laughs) Huh? Huh? What's going to happen?
0: So, uh, we've learned that singers can fulfill multiple roles.
1: Is this like... In fantasy stories, is this where the band kids and theater kids go? Like, you just can't, you got the performance bug, this is what you're going to have to do in the fantasy world? I
0: think so, you know. You would
1: you, have to do that. You
0: got to you gotta perform some way.
1: If you were going to be in a Dungeons & Dragons world, do you see yourself taking up a sword or do you see yourself enjoying being the bard in the party?
0: that is a really good question
1: depends on the threat i guess
0: (laughs) i guess so and also you could tailor
1: your care bard character class to be more of a spell slinger if needed
0: well yeah your bard could fight your bard would fight i may be a. don't know i may have to decide to be a bard okay and not a bard barian can i be a bard barian (laughs) i think so is that a thing (sighs) well
1: i'm glad we talked about you being a bard because i want to tell some people about your new album and about our performance a little bit right uh, okay give a, give a reminder to how you can get this album now
0: okay uh if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions email rumors at the wizards or hit us up on social media and we might share your thoughts on the next episode will what's some stuff people need to know and where can they find us
1: okay so you can find us on the big social media places twitter or instagram or facebook and we're going to talk about the Show and our other shows like Colonel Holler, our Halloween comedy series. More on that in, uh, pretty soon, and our complete archive of the Master of the Universe review show. We're also going to be talking about Rebecca's new album. Rebecca records under the name King Garrity, and she has a new album out called Get Big, which is available on all the digital platform streaming spaces. It's everywhere, and you can get it from her website at k e e n g a r r i t y dot com and we are also going to be performing February seventh. I think it's the Sunday. Yep. Uh, I think it's at two, but we'll post it on social Central media
0: Central Time, which is not our time. So anyway, we'll just we'll okay, post that. Okay. It's it. the we'll Galen,
1: Galen Lee's YouTube show, and we're going to play uh, three songs there. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about it. And I would just encourage uh, people to uh, listen to this album. I think it's really, really objectively good. Um, it's like uh, Rebecca calls it like story storytelling pop rock. Um, It's sort of got like an alt country, but sometimes leans more into rock sort of vibe to it. Yeah, Um, it's everything. uh, And a lot of the the songs are based on like different uh, creature metaphors. And it's about self-expansion and mythology and a lot of the things we talk about on this show.
0: It is about all Um, of those things.
1: And uh, I'll hype it up. I'll hype it up more in our social spaces. But yeah, but truly, uh, give it a listen on Spotify or wherever you uh, like to listen to music. Uh, Her name is King Garrity. And I played guitar on it, so there's also that. <laughs> I played many guitars, several guitars on it.
0: Steve Vai played the devil's guitar on that,
1: it. That's right. That
0: also happened. And
1: Porter may be snoring somewhere on it. We're trying to see if we can find any of those.
0: He's ready for food. <laughs> I'm ready for food, too. So, thanks for listening. So thanks for listening. We'll see you
1: next week when we call forth new champions. But none will ever be good as a puppet episode.
0: <laughs> tell of a hero facing down fears and cutting down foes there's no resemblance to what you know when your own deeds feel humble and few but you've waded through tedious waves in a world gray and flat you're still here BUST